0: Hey, welcome back to the Female Founder World Podcast. It's Jasmine, I'm the host of the show. I facilitate all of our free events and our workshops. If you haven't come to one, you really need to, you can hit the link in the show notes to find out more about those events and what's coming up. We have some really great ones over the summer. We've got Alison McNamara on the show today. She's the founder of a beauty business called Mara Beauty. And she also worked as an editor. She was at Pop Sugar for years and she's got a really robust background in media. So there's a lot that you can learn from her about the beauty industry at large, but also branding, editorial, PR. And we'll get into all of that in this episode. Before we start the show, I've got a quick note from our sponsor, Gorgeous.
1: I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. The Princess Polly online store was born in a true startup style in 2010 in Australia. And we launched our US-based operation in Los Angeles in 2019. And now we are one of the fastest growing online women's fashion brands in the US and Australia. Our first value is customer centricity. So every single department is paying attention to the customer experience. We aim to deliver every single time and being customer focused is really daring to be different. We first and foremost, listen to our customers and always remember that customer perception is reality. Our demographic is Gen Z and this is the, I expect a response now. I call them the now customer. Our CX teams engage across every single channel. It is very important that we meet our customers where they are and gorgeous allows us the opportunity to be efficient with all of these channels, located in one place, we show up to work each and every day with one goal in mind, and that is to provide the best customer experience for our customers all over the globe. I have a quote, and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization, and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. So AI and tech have played a large piece in a lot of the decisions that we've made at Princess Polly over the last year and going forward that we will make when it comes to utilizing systems to their fullest optimization. I will share that late last year, for example, we migrated ticketing platforms from the very popular Zendesk to Gorgeous because it is the experience that we're focused on, the agent experience and the customer experience. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today.
0: You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Garnsworthy. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I want to start right at the beginning. And before we get into Mara and everything that you're building in your beauty business, understand a bit more about your media career and how the hosting gigs kind of all got started and how that took off.
2: You know, I always wanted to be like the next like female Ryan Seacrest. And so I had this dream of being a news reporter when I was younger. And then growing up in Los Angeles and going to USC, the University of Southern California, I was surrounded by the entertainment industry and my internships which I worked for free for like five years in college, We're all at different media outlets. Like I worked at E! Entertainment for the Daily Ten, worked in their news bureau, worked for MTV and talent and casting, and became like obsessed with, not the idea of like talking about celebrities per se, but I love the idea of being able to report on the news and it not being so sad or devastating, like traditional, you know, normal newscasts when you watch your local news. So I became like dead set on this idea of doing entertainment reporting. And that kind of then led me to find the lifestyle space because that was really kind of coming up when I was coming up in my career. It was the dawn of the age of the women's media outlets. So we saw like the Pop Sugars and the Refinery29s and you know the Stylecasters all really becoming massive. And this is kind of after the wave of like the Perez Hiltons and all of those different outlets. Mm-hmm. It was more positive and it was more like female oriented. So I kind of found my way to Pop Sugar, where I was creating lifestyle, fashion, and entertainment videos, and then that's kind of where I started my career in media.
0: I, you know, everything that you're saying there really resonates because I also had a really similar start to my career, where I thought originally I was going to work in PR and then worked in copywriting and then kind of shifted in, shifted into this digital space. And at the time, Pop Sugar was one of the only publications in Australia that were publishing digitally. Like everything was print at the time, which is not that long ago. I feel like people, that sounds like forever ago if you're Gen Z, but it was not that long ago. <laughs> I'm not that old.
2: <laughs> it was crazy. Like I'll remember, you know, early New York fashion weeks where they would send me with a video camera and, you know, a microphone and we would be last in line because they're like, oh, the digital, like we don't even yep. want- to them. Or like I'd get like 15 seconds with a big celebrity on a red carpet. And, you know, now it's obviously totally changed. Most of the outlets that I was up against aren't even around anymore in the yes. print space. It's very crazy.
0: It is crazy. And I a hundred percent experienced the same thing where access was really hard because you would definitely kind of the second tier even though the reach was yeah third tier (laughs) how many tiers are there it was the last one but even though the reach was huge it was still this time of trying to educate people or educate the industry that digital was a real thing and that it was real journalism and it was content that people were engaging with definitely I want to chat about how you made the pivot from media into becoming a brand founder were you still working full time when you started Mara how did that shift happen for you
2: definitely still working full time but i had like a slower transition in a way because with my career i went in house at pop sugar and then ultimately because i became more talent than i did i was still writing all of my own content but i became truly like a host and more in the talent space had a manager i actually started my own business in 2014 so i had built my own little kind of like It wasn't, freelance but I had all these different clients that I was working with. So I when I left my full-time job in 2014, I still was working at Pop Sugar and other outlets. And then when I ultimately when my TV show ended in 2015, I still was able to work at with different companies, different brands. So I kept that going. Literally, I still have that business and I still work for that business. But now I am full-time on Mara. So Mara launched in 2018 and it's 2022 and I've been working on Mara since 2015. So Anyone who's listening, like, I definitely recommend keeping the side hustle as your side hustle, even though you're working on it full time and keep that revenue of income coming in because it's so much less stressful when you don't have to worry about where your money's coming from,
0: you know? Totally. This is a question that I often ask people, particularly when they have self-funded or bootstrapped most of their business's growth. How long did it take you to start taking a salary or income from the business rather than reinvesting everything back in?
2: This was a really interesting learning curve for me because my other business is an S-corp. And an S-corp, you can pay yourself a fair salary. uh, And with an LLC, you can only take owner's draws, which is very different. And it was something that I had to learn. I started taking owner's draws last year in 2021. Very small, but just to like, Make me feel like I was a part of my own business because now I have employees yeah. and I'm like, I'm not even working for my own brand. And hopefully, you know, the goal is to increase that to be a little bit more even for me this year. But it's it's a struggle because I, even though I value myself and I know I am really the business, I also see the opportunity of putting that money elsewhere. So it's really hard to put yourself first as a founder.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's such an important thing to say as well. Cause I speak with so many women, even folks who have pretty big venture backed kind of companies and is it takes them years before they actually take any money out of the business. And most of them are still doing consulting work as well on the side to like pay, you know, pay for their life as they're kind of dedicating everything else to their business.
2: Exactly. So that's what I'm still doing in a way. I have cut down on the amount of jobs that I take because it was getting just too crazy. But at the same time, it is nice to have that income flow that isn't reliant on Mara.
0: I want to understand now what the process was like when you were getting this idea off the ground. How did you find the whole process of getting your formulas created, externalizing your brand vision, all of that? I know that it took you a couple of years to really get down and work out what your formulas were going to be. So what were you spending most of that time doing?
2: Well, I think that, and I do this still for all of our products. I spend so much time just visualizing how it's going to look, sound, feel, smell. So, a big part of that early, those early days, was really making sure I had a unique enough idea. I think one of my definite benefits is being a journalist by trade. I, I really approach even the whole brand identity and every product like I would, you know kind of focus on researching a story that I was assigned to write. There really is a lot of thought that goes into everything. Everything has like a purpose and a detail to it. So it took a long time. I mean, I I started in 2015 when I had the name and then went on like the more legal aspects of it first by getting the trademarks and the websites, everything secured. So I knew that I wasn't doing all this work in vain and then not having the name or the products that I want to create. And then really honing in on my niche. I, I really feel that especially now there's so much skincare available and there's so many like hyaluronic acid serums, like I knew because I'm not a celebrity that I had to have a really strong core concept and incredible products to shine through everything else. So I put all of our early dollars and still to this day, the most expensive line items are the product development and the ingredients that we, you know, we source. So that's always been like a big, big focus for, for me. And I think that's what really helped us. How did you find a formulator? What was that process? It's hard. I, you know, I, I tell everyone that I went to these things called ingredient festivals, which that's not what they're called, but they're- these I know things- exactly what you mean when you say it though. Like- <laughs> like they should rebrand them as ingredient festivals. Maybe yeah. more people would want to go because they are conventions in theory. There's like Cosmoprof, Make LA, they're all over the country. But luckily being here in Los Angeles, we do have a high concentration of these ingredient festivals around. So 2015, 2016, 2017 was just going to all of those different- fairs those conventions i flew to las vegas and was getting different cards of different in-house formulators manufacturers there's so many options for this you can either work with a large kind of contract manufacturer formulation house and they can help you come up with a formula you can go with an independent formulator and then scale up that recipe and it all just depends on how much you want to spend and how custom you want to go i went the most difficult route I, i found an independent formulator that i felt knew the ingredients that I wanted to work with and really like saw eye to eye on my vision. And we work kind of, she's got a full team or they have a full team actually, but they uh, really understood Mara. And so we've been working with them ever since. And we work on like a set of formulas at a time. And then I have to go and find a contract manufacturer to make them.
0: Yeah. A lot of beauty brands you're kind of seeing popping up around, they are using private labeling and they don't own their own formulas. And that that's one way to go if you're trying to have a brand play. But I think if you're, if you want to have a business that has any kind of like longevity to it, you need to own your own formulas. And that's definitely something that investors seem to be asking as well, as you get further down the track, like, do you own your recipes and do you own your own formulas?
2: Definitely. And there's also different levels of owning your own formulas too. Like you can go to a contract manufacturer and buy out your formula, but you're kind of buying it out after they've already picked the raw materials and stuff that already goes in it, where I'm building these formulas from the ground up with an independent cosmetic chemist team of them. So we're really doing R&D on these ingredients and sometimes even making our own custom raw materials to really benefit the formula. There's so so many ways you can do this process. So it's not a one size fits all.
0: I know that you were super scrappy in the early days with the design process and the look and feel behind Mara. And it is super distinctive. Like I feel like it's very different to what was launching at the time, which was a lot of the pastels, like that glossier vibe. And you guys are really distinctive in that you have more, you're using blues. It feels really like elevated and beautiful and ocean inspired. How did you whip all of that up on the lane budget?
2: Thank you. I have no clue. I honestly, like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I I, I'm, I love aesthetics. I'm aesthetically driven. I love beautiful things. And I, I really always went back to this, like, I made a Pinterest board, of course. And I had this little, my dad worked in, in beauty, still works in beauty. And one of the first things he gave me was this travel size navy perfume. It was, the brand is called Navy. And it was like a, a navy top and like an amber orange formula inside and the letters were written like Navy. So that I kept going back to this kind of like eighties inspo for it. And not that Mara feels eighties, but that color really drove the palette of what we selected. And I wanted it to feel heritage and familiar, but also new and fresh. So I wanted the brand to be, to feel just as beautiful in like 30, 40 years as it would in 2018 when we launched. And so I thought the the blue and the gold was a nice way to achieve that. And I mean, honestly, I just kind of, you know, stitched everything together. The box, we had a designer working on the box. I did not like any of the designs that we were coming up with. So then my little sister actually connected me with one of her high school friends that he was not in high school at the time, but he's a graphic designer. <laughs> and I kind of like showed him this thing I had made on like minted or one of those sites where you can build a box. And I was like, I want to create this. And he helped me do like a more proper layout of it, but that's kind of how I created the unit boxes and, and the bottles.
0: Oh, I love all that. So that's the packaging that you still see today. Yeah, we haven't
2: done any. I know I feel very grateful and like very proud of myself. We didn't have to do revisions. I have a lot of friends brands that I've seen them go through like three three revisions of their original concepts. And I'm like, I feel pretty like legit that we never had to do that
0: yet. That's super impressive. So you guys also launched with one hero product and... I'm really interested to understand whether, and that was the face oil, whether looking back, you still feel like that was the best approach and kind of why you thought launching with one product is the best thing. I'm really curious as folks are kind of thinking about what they launched with in their own lines, what you learned from that experience.
2: I think it was the best decision we ever made and it was always the, that was always the kind of process for us. I was always going to launch one SKU. It was in the midst of the 10 step Korean skincare routine. And Mm -hmm. I just felt like you'd go into a store, be it Sephora or Ulta or your local beauty shop. And like, there's a million products from a brand. They all kind of have similar words like hydrating or essence or brightening. And I didn't feel like they felt targeted. And I feel like it could be condensed. And I always love condensing things. So You know launched with the one face oil i think now looking back it's a very risky move but has a lot of payoff if the product is good and i knew that this product was going to hit i knew we were on onto a very special formula the smell was different the efficacy was totally there you could see visible results with instantly with use and obviously I thought the look and feel was different too. And so I would recommend it. I think that there's too much out there. I think it really shows the customer that, Hey, I really believe so much in this product that I'm launching with just this one thing. And then you can kind of excite your audience by new launches. And it, it doesn't feel then so overwhelming. I think as a new brand founder to have six SKUs where you're, you're kind of chasing six different types of components, like bottles, droppers, jars, pumps, like it's crazy and, and you know as you're building up to it then you kind of ease yourself into the chaos of having multiple SKUs and raw materials. So I found it truly beneficial. I think it's very economical too. You're not mm-hmm. focused on you know if an MOQ is 10,000 units of a bottle and you're using six different body type th- uh, bottles across your line, that's 60,000 units that you So are- true. So but teach their own. I think some people also feel they want to present a complete idea. And for me, the idea was complete with one face oil, but maybe for another brand, it doesn't feel complete. Why
0: did you decide to go with an algae-based skincare? Talk to me about the benefits of that.
2: Well, I grew up using La Mer or wanting to use La Mer and (laughs) we're more like just going in and asking for free samples at my local. (laughs) But I always loved like the glamour and I I feel like, you know, they had this beautiful kind of heritage story, but it wasn't done with ingredients that really live up to my personal standards. So I would be lying if I didn't say that they were obviously a source of inspiration. I grew up in Southern California. The brand was thought of while we were on a trip to Turkey and it's globally inspired by my travels but also from where I'm from. So I felt like there was an opportunity to tell a new type of story and algae is one of the few species that we're still discovering new types of species. So really the opportunity for R&D is so exciting in this space so the fact that we can play with this and it feels so on brand was something that was really exciting to me.
0: Very cool. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Haley Beaver and Haley Beaver using your products. How did that come about, and what was the impact on the business when that all happened?
2: Well, thank you, Haley, if you're listening to this. I was such a big <laughs> moment for a brand, and I think it's so cool that a celebrity of her status supports smaller indie brands like mine. You know it's very easy for her to get a paid deal and I'm sure have that entire YouTube video paid for by a brand and using just their products. So thank you for that. How it came about was pretty organic. We do a lot of seeding to top glam and makeup and hair talent. And I do have a, head, a hand up in that. My, my wife is actually a celebrity hair colorist. And so we had gifted her via my wife, you know, some product. And I, we didn't gift her the cleanser, actually. We gifted her just our universal face oil and a few others that I thought she would like. And ultimately I think she had seen a, I I, I've heard that she saw a YouTube or a, a TikTok video about the cleanser, purchased the cleanser on our website and then featured it in the, in the video. And I didn't know that it happened until like I was on my website and it was like, like i think there were like 50,000 people on the website at one point like it was that's a lot oh of people oh my gosh yeah so I'm like where is this traffic coming from and it was from the youtube video and it's crazy cuz that video in particular she doesn't even mention it by name in the video she does talk about how the oil cleanser that she started using has made the biggest difference in her skin and then she listed down the ingredients of what she featured in the drop down so just shows that people like her have such they carry such weight and if it is authentic and organic i think people still really do value like celebrity opinions. And so, yeah, we saw a massive boom in that product. It's now one of our best-selling SKUs. It was not before, and it's still maintained as one of our best-selling SKUs. We can't keep it in stock. It's, it's been incredible and I'm forever grateful for that.
0: That's such a cool story. What makes the formula so special?
2: It has like, it's a cleansing oil, but has the slightest bit of grit, it has fruit enzymes in there. It has like this kind of haziness that hangs at the bottom. So it's aesthetically very cool to look at, but that little bit of grit and that kind of unique texture for a cleansing oil is what really allows every trace of makeup to be like stripped from the skin without stripping the skin so you kind of get that that fresh foaming cleanser feeling without losing that hydration or that that you know skin barrier that we're always trying to preserve and it's really multifunctional. so you can use it on damp skin you can use it on dry skin as a light peel as a shaving oil the options are really endless so i think that's why it resonates well
0: Mm, that sounds delicious i want some that sounds so
2: good (laughs) We'll send some your way. I know that when you guys first went into
0: retail, you launched in Credo. Is that right? Correct. How did that come about? And was that like an intentional thing you wanted to launch into Credo first? Or were they kind of the first retail opportunity that came up? Talk me through that.
2: Very intentional. I wanted to launch with a quote unquote, like clean retailer. And Credo is the largest clean retailer in the country. So that was like definitely a huge Kind of goal for me to launch with them. They have been the most amazing partner. They know how to grow brands. It's, you know, it's really really important for a retailer to put the emphasis on helping you grow because you win when you, you both win when you grow, but a lot of retail partnerships, they don't know how to grow new brands. And I think because a lot of the executive team came from Sephora, they have a great mindset on buildings. I had reached out to them. I love a cold email, not shy. I don't shy away from a cold email. So I cold emailed their brand submissions. And I didn't hear back right away. And then we actually, they reached out to me, but not as a reply to my my cold email, because they'd seen us on an influencer makeup artist's Instagram. And I'm not sure if she had put in a good word for us or not, but they definitely saw it virally on on Instagram and wanted to call it in. And we launched with them like three months after our D2C or direct consumer launch. So, and that was intentional. I always wanted to go to retail. So
0: yeah. <laughs> How have you found scaling up that side of the business? Cause it's a totally different beast to having an e-comm store.
2: It's hard. You know, I I didn't come from this background and I do all of our distribution. People are usually shocked to hear that, but we don't use wow. distributors throughout the world, even in new markets. So we are in, you know, UK, we're in parts of Europe, we're in Spain, France, Australia, New Zealand. And so I do all of the reach out and distribution because I really want to kind of manage where my products are going and how they're being marketed. And at maybe some point that'll change, but it's hard. I mean, managing those partnerships is hard and making sure you're not losing money when you're selling at a margin is hard. And all of it, it's challenging. We've heard the amazing
0: story of what you've created and all of the successes that you've had with the business. But I want to know if there are any mistakes or lessons you learned the hard way as you've been building Mara.
2: You know, I get asked the mistakes question a lot. And I really don't think I've made any like huge mistakes because everything that you do teaches you something. So you learn something new, right? I don't really have a mistake to be honest, but I mean, I think the biggest thing is like, we all want to go, we all want what we see everyone else doing, right? We want Mm -hmm. to be in that shiny retailer or have that award seal or have that celebrity mention us. And I think it's just remembering that like everything's timed out for you. You're given what you can handle. And I think it's just not feeling like you have to rush. And I think we've done a good job of like, scaling and being successful in our current retailers. But of course, like the grass is always greener. You see other brands doing things that you want to do. So I think it's just, you know, not being too hard on yourself for me, at least it's a mistake I've made because I'm always super hard on myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like so many entrepreneurs have, or anyone who's even vaguely entrepreneurial, like shiny object syndrome is such a, such a thing. How have you stayed there's so much going on in beauty. There are so many different things that can like shift your focus from a formula and trends perspective through to like branding. How have you just stayed on your mission through this time of building a business?
2: I'm lucky in the sense that I get sent a lot of products still for work being like in the influence. Yeah. So I do get to try a lot of things, but I really don't like let the, I don't really study other people's brands. I'm not really, I'm looking at new launches, but I'm not like hyper-focused on them because our launch schedule is it takes us so long to develop these products that like the products you're seeing now are the products I've been working on for 3 plus years so I just try not to get too caught up in what other people are doing but you still want to also not not know you need to be you know aware of what's going on in the yeah. space I think there's there's a very healthy balance between knowing what's going on and also just staying true to who you are. And I really just try and put emphasis on like, I know what I'm doing. I I know the story I'm trying to tell. I don't let other people, you know, sway my my vision for that.
0: The last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource. And that could be a book that you've read, podcast that you listen to, just something that's helped you along your path in entrepreneurship.
2: Mm, I love the book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I think that's a really great read. It's kind of like not... not a beauty book, but it's just, I think it's a great lesson on managing people and hiring and firing and all those hard things that you're kind of faced with. If you've never run a business before for podcasts, I, I mean, I like listening just to like the daily, because I think knowing what's going on in the world kind of helps you know what's going on with your business. And I love the glossy podcast as well. I love yours. So I, I love a podcast. And then I think also just Doing like a five minute journal or something that like brings you back to gratitude. I've been doing it since well before I launched my line. And I like love looking back at what were goals of mine in like 2018, 2019 and seeing so many of them and more being hit. So I think that that's been something that I, I really enjoy doing just for myself.
0: Oh, a gratitude journal has been on my list of things to do for my entire life, pretty much. It's just something that I haven't gotten into, but I would love to be able to go back and see, hey, like this is actually what you wanted to get out of the next five years and look how many of those things you've done. Because otherwise you can be so focused on just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing.
2: Yeah, the gratitude journal is great. And there's one that's called the five minute journal. I'm trying to graduate out of that one because I feel like, I could be doing more now that I've been doing it for so long, but it's so easy and it's the easiest way to like get involved start getting involved with journaling. Cause it doesn't take that long. It takes like three minutes.
0: Yeah. I love that. Alison, thanks so much for coming on the show and for telling us all about the things that are working over at Mara and how you're growing your business.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.